It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 707, 707 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I have another great episode lined up for you today. Joining me as my guest today is Emilia Danzica, Emilia's partner for customer success and account management at Winning by Design. And today, Emilia and I are going to talk about customer success, how CS, as it's known, has become a driving force in revenue growth in the SaaS industry, and how this model will soon become applicable to many other industries and businesses as well. We'll get into the evolving role of customer success, how it's structured, where it reports, and how success is measured for customer success. Now, before we get to Amelia, I want to take a quick second to talk to you about the Sales House, the sales accelerator community for B2B sellers. You know, as sellers, we don't have a ton of control over a lot of the things that have an impact on our, our job. We don't, can't control products, pricing, features, customers, and so on. But what we can control is how we as individuals conduct ourselves in front of our buyers. All those other factors pale in importance to how we connect, how we build rapport, how we engage the interest of our buyers, how we build trust, and how we deliver the value that inspires them to want to do business with us. And that's the focus at the sales house, to enable sellers just like you with all the knowledge, skills, confidence, and acumen to become the very best version of you. I've been in sales for more than four decades, and like you, I've seen plenty of people pushing empty promises about how to get better. But if you just invest 10 minutes a day of your time in the sales house for an entire year, I guarantee you'll never have to worry about hitting quota ever again. You get unlimited access to courses, coaching content, and a community of motivated peers who know that to learn more means to earn more. So come be the best version of you at the sales house. Visit thesaleshouse.com. That is thesaleshouse.com forward slash join. Look forward to seeing you there. All right, let's jump into it with my guest today, Emilia Danzica. Emilia, how you doing? I'm well, thank you. How are you, Andy? I'm doing great. I am doing well. So as we record this, we're both taking shelter from the huge storms hitting California. You on the northern side, me on the southern side. (laughs) And so if people hear... In the background here, drops of rain pounding against the window. There's nothing we could do about it, so you have to bear <laughs> with us. Um, so we're going to talk about customer success today. And this is, this is a topic that yeah, everybody hears about, and, and, but it's certainly within the SaaS business, the software business, it's, it's really sort of taken off as a uh, driving force of revenue growth within the companies. Uh, perhaps less so in, in other companies, but it's something that, that I think companies should learn about because it's applicable, pro- I think, more broadly than many many firms think about. So, uh, and because that could be a good tool for driving revenue growth for them. So, tell us, what's the, what's the mission of customer success? Customer success, I believe, as a mission is to continue a growth loop for sales. So it isn't an extension, but rather a partner of the sales team. They work hand in hand to continue to grow that customer relationship. Um, I don't think one is more important than the other. I, I don't believe that customer success should necessarily uh, report into sales, but I can understand in some organizations that is the way it is. But really, at the end of the day, if you really 
go down to the basics, the mission of customer success is to enable a customer and for that partnership with the customer to grow. So it's really a growth loop if you think of a customer journey. Yeah, when you talk about enabling the customer to grow, it's say, okay, once once they have your product, your service, your software on board in the company, that's just the beginning of the journey. And if they don't get the value out of it, then they don't stay a, a customer. I mean, pretty simple from a software standpoint. I mean, the barriers to change are much lower than they used to be <laughs> in, the, in the SaaS world and certainly in a licensed hosted environment. So really paying attention that people are using it and using it productively, productively excuse me, um, is really essential. Yes, and I, I believe that customer success is so relevant and important that it's no longer a SaaS term. Uh, companies you think of WeWork, for example, while they service tech companies, non-tech companies, they now have a vice president of customer success mm-hmm. and they realize the value of it. So the woman who's heading up the organization is hiring an entire team globally because WeWork has recognized the value of customer success and servicing the the people who are leveraging their offices. And that's really the point. So we were making before is, is yes. yeah, this is not something that's just, I mean, certainly actually I don't know, probably get into this later. I spent two or three years on a customer success role. It wasn't called that at the time, but that's exactly mm-hmm. what it was. Uh, yeah. It wasn't a tech business, but, but it was such a central role in the company that, uh, it really had outsized importance. And I think that's something that, that companies really sort of don't spend enough time thinking about is they think, yeah, if we sell it, that's sort of it, right? And maybe they'll give us a referral and if we're lucky, but not enough energies are spent on, yeah, somebody really getting the value out of this that they expected, you know, they're meeting their expectations when they purchase the product. And I would argue, and the research that Winning by Design has done shows that if you are able to onboard, have a successful handoff, do the onboarding well, and really grow the customer, the lifetime value of the customer is really after the opportunity is closed. It's not a closed sale, but rather a commitment. And if you look at that commitment, the growth can be 75 to 92% of the lifetime value. If you beyond, think of beyond that, the original, beyond the original value of the initial contract, yes. Yes. Yeah. So if you think of that, that's significant for companies. And when you're trying to seek venture uh, funding, for example, uh, you definitely need to be able to show that you have a product that one, the market is ready for, and two, that you're able to renew and grow those customers. All right, we'll, we'll get into the, the growth aspect of it in a bit. So let's get back to how it's structured because you raised the point that a lot of people initially gravitate toward is like, it doesn't report to sales. What are you talking about? Um, so what are the pros and cons of where customer success should report? Um, you know, I've seen it where I, I recently worked with a client last week and the customer success organization did report into sales and I talked to the head of customer success. She's thrilled that she's reporting into sales because this sales leader has so much influence over the organization, was Mm -hmm. able to leverage part of the budget for customer success kickoff. And that's where Winning by Design came in and spent a day with the team. 
And they're able to show the organization and customers that sales and CS are aligned. And that's really powerful. Uh, so I well, see that. Why, why wouldn't they be? I mean, given that, given yeah. that you know, so <laughs> if you look at the two primary functions of a business, and, mm-hmm. and this is not my words, I learned this from somebody else, but it says that's basically <laughs> to, to get them and keep them, right? Get customers, keep customers, get them, keep mm-hmm. them. Why wouldn't that be? Why wouldn't they be in aligned in alignment? Yeah, you know what? I I asked myself the same question. If you look at the average salary of of CROs versus the chief customer officers, I would argue that the CROs are h- more highly compensated. They have more stock options, and they go to the president's club in Hawaii every year. Uh, it's and they, not, and they generate a quarter of the revenue versus three quarters <laughs> being generated through customer success. Exactly. So if you look at the stats, and I know um, Michael Blisdale is putting together right now a, a survey and is going to release this research, I just can't wait for it to come out to really see and be able to prove these type of metrics. It's it's just evident in how organizations are structured, and when companies put aside a budget for how many salespeople they hire versus customer success, I would argue that there's always more money for sales, more money for the sales dinners, more monies for the offsites, kickoffs. Um, that Now, I will say that's changing. Uh, for In the past two weeks, I've been to three sales and customer success kickoffs mm-hmm. where winning by design uh, was was part of the program. And that's really encouraging to me. So I do believe that that's changing. But if you look at the traditional, even companies like Slack, who does customer success report into? It's sales. What does that tell me? Um, it, it tells me that for some reason, sales is more important than customer success. And Well, perceived to be more important by, perceived, by the people within yes. the organization, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it, to your point, I, you could ask the question, is sales disproportionately compensated um, compared to customer success. And it says someone who, who's been in that customer success role, um, yeah, at the time, I certainly would have argued yes. <laughs> 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 Though interesting at that time, in the role I was in, I, my compensation wasn't a whole lot different than the salespeople in the way the company was structured because it really was a team, a team approach, right? Mm-hmm. Customer success played a role in the pre-sale as well as the post-sale. Uh, because you know, part of such a we we're selling major account uh, opportunities is you had to have customer success involved in the pre-sale in order to lay out what expectations are going to be for once you had the order and once you start implementing. Yes, it, and again, there there's the alignment. It's it's fantastic if you're able if you can afford to bring the customer success manager before the relationship is solidified and onboarding the handoff starts that's mm-hmm. that that tells me that the company's invested in customer success so let's look at the capabilities of the individuals like customer success success managers yeah how do they really differ from that of a salesperson i mean again i i went into customer success we called it program management at the time but mm-hmm. i was running these large programs that their customer success programs, customer success programs. I have a hard time speaking them today, but I came into it from sales. Ended up going back into sales, and I sort of came of the opinion away from that. I was like, you know, 
this should be part of the career track for sales is they should have to spend an AE should have to spend, especially as an enterprise environment, should have to spend some portion of their time going through customer success, seeing how the product is used, making the customer successful. Cause when they come back on the other side, much better prepared for the pre-sale to be able to help the customers make a decision. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that story that you just shared because I'll, sh- I'll, I'll share an opposite one. Traditionally, in onboarding of customer success managers, they don't typically spend a lot of time in the sales process or learning what is the sales journey. Mm-hmm. How, does, how does the customer go through awareness and then become a customer? And if, if companies take the time and invest in customer success managers to learn about the sales journey, I believe they will be better at their jobs they will understand where the customer is coming from. How did they become aware of the product? What were their pain points? And hence the importance of the, the handoff. Mm-hmm. But in training, it's critical that you learn those skills or at least understand the sales perspective. How did this customer come to you as now a, a paying customer? And what's so interesting is I am coaching uh, someone who desperately wants to be in customer success he has been rejected so many times by companies because, and this is this may be the excuse, I think he's fantastic, but they said, well, you've never had customer success experience. You're a, you're a salesperson. And he's very successful in sales. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm baffled by this because when I was at WalkMe, some of the best CSMs that I hired were sales managers before. They understand, understood the entire journey so I would argue that people in sales are, are already equipped to become customer success managers. And I think if I have to hire from a pool, I would, I would start with sales. <laughs> well, I wonder if in the instances you're talking about where they're resisting hiring salespeople into customer success, I wonder if that's part of the, the issue is just the perception of what customer success is doing. So you know, we get a little fixated on this idea of land and expand, and which I think is is somewhat of a flawed metaphor for what what's really happening. Because to me, the implication of land and expand is, yeah, we're going to get a few customers, and we're just going to add more seats, sort of doing the exact same thing. Fine, that's that's one way to grow an account. But for me, in the business that I was in for for years. That was okay, but what we really wanted, we wanted the next big thing the customer was going to do, right? We just got the order on this big initiative, let's call it initiative A. We really wanted to get initiative B. And you know, for me, that was, that was the role that I took on as a program manager, as a customer success manager. I was leading the charge on helping the customer discover their needs, basically go through a, another sales process. Exactly. So I, you know, for me it seems strange that they wouldn't want to hire a salesperson because mm-hmm. the job fundamentally is the same in many respects. There are aspects of it that are different in terms of managing relationship. But when it looks at going to getting, I said, these, the next big opportunity, you're, you're doing a sales job. I, I agree. And I, I think it's Dan Steinman who recently said this, so I'll quote him, but the sale never ends, right? Just because in Salesforce, it says the opportunity closed doesn't mean anything. It means there's a commitment. There's a partnership. Now the growth, the growth opportunity 
is there if you are able to onboard them and orchestrate a successful uh, adoption of your platform? Yeah, I think the first I've you know I've said that you know, quote quote Andy is that you know the <laughs> the first we'll call it customer success call you have with you have with a customer after the order assign is the first sales call for the next big order. Mm-hmm. And you really have to have that perspective, right? I mean, yeah, we're there to serve the customer. We want to do right by the customer, want them to get the value out of it. But you know, we're not doing that through a sense of altruism. <laughs> we do have an agenda. The agenda is we want to make you fabulously successful. So the next thing you need to order, you you order from us. Exactly. Yes, I agree. Those key moments, those critical events, where you are looking at the different pain points they have, asking the right questions, and then alleviating them first before really diving really deep in your product because they may not need all of it at the beginning. Let's ensure their pain points are alleviated first. Yeah, and that's why I, I use a different term, and that's not one I originated, but it's, you know, there are other strategy sites, land and expand. I mean, one that I worked on a lot is called fit in and stand out. And the reason I think this is actually maybe more apt a lot of times is that when you bring a product into an organization, you have to fit into what they're doing. I mean, yeah, you're, you may be disrupting to some degree their, their existing processes, but you also need to integrate with the existing processes. You do need to fit in and then show that by fitting in and using your capabilities, you've stood out, right? You've made things, you've elevated everything. If all I agree. About, if the whole you're thinking about doing is adding, adding seats, uh, I think your motivations are, are not going to be headed in the right direction. I, I completely agree. The minute you sound like you're selling to them, they're turned off. The, yeah. then the, there's the silence in the relationship. Yeah. How many seats are we adding this month? <laughs> exactly. Th- those days are gone. <laughs> you, you'd think, but they're not. I mean, I've, I've sat in... Yeah, I went to a modern sales pro salon in, in New York and I sat at a table with SDR managers and, and sales managers. No, they were talking about that all the time, right? What are we going to mm-hmm. close this month? How am I going to you know, get some more this month? What are the discounts we're going to give? I'm like, are you guys listening to yourself? I mean, <laughs> pattern of behavior that they had given no thought to, does this help us? reach our long-term objective and what are we doing to the relationship in the meantime mm-hmm. by, Hey, I'm going to give you, you know, a 2% discount to, you know, give us additional seats this month. It's like, really? And, and I would argue that you don't need to give discounts. Why not? Why not trade? Trades? What? Well, it depends on what is really important to your company at the time. So if you're, uh, a series A company and you don't have customer references or mm-hmm. case studies or videos, why not do a trade? If they want to um, have the same price as last year, sure, we'll extend it for another year. But within the first 60 days of, of us renewing, we would like to be able to do a video and case study. Mm-hmm. Or if we keep this price then we would like three introductions to call past colleagues or people you know that can benefit from our product. That can be a far better conversation when it comes to the renewal than just giving a discount. Oh, I agree. I agree 100%. And uh, yeah, companies tend not to 
think about that so much. So you said something that triggered a thought is, so how are companies measuring both at the sort of group level and individual level customer success? I, I do believe that the renewals and expansion are the most important metrics that companies are looking at. After all, if you can't renew, then do you, do you need to go back to your product and look at, is it something related to product? Were they bad fit customers? Uh, what happened in the customer journey and why are you now only realizing it at time of renewal? So it's a fundamental problem there. Um, but I also do believe that more and more things like references, introductions to other potential customers, uh, speaking at conferences on your company's behalf, uh, videos, those kind of things are now also being looked at as motivational uh, targets or, or, or metrics um, for CSMs to look at. So, for example, Gainsight, they, every quarter, every CSM, as part of their bonus program, mm. uh, is to have at least one case study. Um, so, every company does it differently. That's on an individual level. At WalkMe, for example, uh, the CSMs were motivated and incentivized by pods, so as groups, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I love that philosophy because if you think about it, if there's someone weak on your team, you want to help them. You want to elevate them. And right. so as a group, you get stronger instead of just having these key stars on your team. You can't grow a company as quickly with just a few uh, strong salespeople or a few strong CSMs. You need to elevate the entire organization. Right to scale faster. Well, let's get back to a point you'd made before. You talked about sort of being surprised whether they renew or not renew. Mm -hmm. So what are the, um, you know, sort of interim metrics that you'd look at to say, okay, are we on track to renew? Yeah. Right. So, what's, what's going on? And, and that can be a little more difficult sometimes to assess, but I'm wondering what, what you see companies doing in that regard. What I have found is highly effective is having the decision maker, the executive uh, champion on the kickoff call mm. and really understanding their goals for why they purchased your, your product and then having them on the executive check-in after they go live, showing them what's been completed and understanding their goals for the next quarter and doing that on a regular basis. It doesn't have to be quarterly. I, I recognize that uh, these executives are hard to get on the phone and it doesn't have to be an hour call. It can be, let's have a 30-minute executive check-in and we'd like your executive to be on for the first 15 minutes to show them where we've been and where we're headed. And if we're able to do that and constantly understand the company's goals and what they care about, asking the right questions, then we can be a partner and help them leverage our products or the, our platforms in a way that will benefit their company. You always want to make sure that the cu the customer is the hero in this. Mm -hmm. in this Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think that's one of the ways that's really important. If you just bring the executive in for the renewal call, you may have totally missed the mark in the customer journey. And I've seen this happen at a six month 
check-in where the executive was invited and said, this is not what I purchased. This is not what I wanted. I will pay for the product until the end of the year, but effective immediately, we are not using this product any longer. He was so upset about how the product had been implemented and felt that we did not hear him and what he wanted. And it's because the project manager didn't understand the goals. The project manager was not part of the sales discussion. Mm -hmm. So was implementing something that he wanted uh, or thought was valuable, but no one thought about checking with the executive. And that's the really powerful lesson. So making sure that your executives are part of the journey, at least during critical events. Okay. Yeah, I mean, in that case, the instance you were giving, I mean, they're blamed to be associated with the people who worked for that executive because they had no idea what his expectations were. So, I mean, it, it also flowed back to customer success and sales because clearly they had misaligned. Um, and I agree that that initial kickoff call is, is really important. Um, and not not given enough attention. Really, I, I it's sort of interesting. As in my career and working in that role, I developed this this uh, step. What I would do if when we had a big contract that was signed and so on. Is the first call was to sit down and go through with the decision maker. Let's go through the process. Right. This is what you start off. This is what you wanted. This is what you spec. Whatever. This is what we proposed uh, because of what you spec. This is why you decided to buy us because of these capabilities. This is what we're delivering, and this is what you should expect to have happen in certain timeframes. Because one of the things that I think people overlook, is, especially in competitive environments, is that your decision makers have taken, sort of cherry-picked the best of what they've heard from everybody, and they think that's what they're getting. Right. So if they're talking to four right. vendors in their mind, what they think they bought <laughs> from you is really the best of what all four companies are talking about. And if mm-hmm. you don't reset the expectations right at the time of the or right after the time decisions been made, but when you're beginning implementation, to your point precisely, is you're gonna have this misalignment that's just is fatal. Yes. And and I've been on the other end where I've had buyer's remorse. Uh, and I've worked for a companies where they purchased a platform, rolled it across the company, and then had such buyer's remorse because there was so much backlash about the product that it was pulled out. So you really want to make sure that there's that alignment early on. Setting expectations, I think, is a huge part of the, the role. So, But I still get back to this issue before. It seems like, for me, if I were managing a customer success team and I had some, I wanted to look at what's happening with the big uh, customer you know, along the way. I don't want to be waiting to month 10 to sort of look at this. It seems like whether it's usage or whether you're doing, you know, customer satisfaction surveys or, you know, what are the, what are those sort of key metrics that are on my dashboard that I'm looking at for these big accounts? Uh, NPS is widely talked about. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that it's a net promoter score for people. Yes, net, exactly. Net promoter score, uh, customer satisfaction scores after a support interaction. Those are all very important if your company does something with the data. So I worked on a large project, a Fortune 50 company hired me to do an MPS project with them across 56,000 customers. Mm -hmm. And I called 100 of them globally. And I presented the data to the executives as they were 
deciding what to do with the product and the customer experience Mm -hmm. in 2019. And I told them as a critical key findings, hear the voice of the customers. If you don't do something with this data, then it was a waste of money and time, right? So you actually have to do something with it. If you're actually doing something with the NPS scores and listening to the voice of the customer, then those metrics make sense. Um, The other one is time to value, time to first value, incredibly important. And if you don't have a good kickoff call and understand, well, what is value for them? How can you measure it? Mm -hmm. So, uh, But measure being something quantifiable or measure being, you know, in something uh, more intangible? Absolutely quantifiable. So uh, the back, the pushback I get is, well, we've never measured this before. That's why we purchased your product. And I tell them, all right, well, let's make an estimate. Or are we able to look in your database, for example, and see how many support interactions you had over the past 90 days? Let's use that as the foundation so that we can start tracking in 90 days, in six months, in nine months to see, is there a drop in support tickets if this is something that is really important to you or a pain point? Mm-hmm. And if you're able to show those first values, I believe that's really um, important for showing that return on investment. So that's another one, being able to identify what's really important to them and then measuring against that. So what do you see in terms of, because I've again experienced this quite a bit, is, is a disconnect between the decision makers when they make the decision on the front side, and then you put it in the hands of the people who are the day-to-day users, and you know, completely orthogonal to each other in terms of expectations and what they hope to get out of it. Yeah, as customer success, how do you, how do you reconcile that? Because that's, that's, that's hard to do oftentimes before the sale. and but. Yeah, suddenly somebody's using a tool. It's like, well, I don't want to use this. Mm-hmm. this. This doesn't help me in my job. And I'm being managed on doing X, Y, Z and or being measured on doing X, Y, Z. And phew, this helps me with ABC. And why am I using it? Right. Well, I will say that there are ways to make sure that you're always in front of the executive if they are not on the calls and there's a way to, to get a pulse. So, um Companies do do this. For example, if you are an administrator of Slack, uh, you get a monthly email. Whether they're for executives, I'm not sure. I don't see a call to action, mm-hmm. but they're on the right path. Same with um, Grammarly. They're constantly every month telling me how many unique words I used and um, they're comparing me to benchmarks of other mm-hmm. users. That's fantastic, but what do you want me to do with this data? So it's important if you're going to be reaching these executives and expecting them to open up the emails and and tell them, then you need to tell them why they should care. Why should they open that email? And what what should I be caring about by me purchasing your product? So um, if you're able to tell me that the things I care about are happening, like reduced support time, um, increased usage of the product, for example, Uh, then that's important. Then send me, by all means, send me the email. But if it's just to tell me that 50 new people signed up or we had 3,000 interactions, 
who cares? How does that impact my business? So that's why I really think that's important. That's just one example because I laugh about it when I get these emails every month. I'm like, who cares? cares. Well, right. And, and so part of me says when you talk about that, those examples in particular, it's like, well, why, if I'm a Slack user, let's say, and I've got a big implementation, I should be getting that data from my internal people. Why Why am I reading this email? I should have the same metrics, right? Shouldn't my internal mm-hmm. people be saying, yeah, we've added X number of people to Slack and we're you know doing these things with it as opposed to having Slack tell me, yeah, we had 3,000 interactions. That's more, you know, 10,000 messages passed through or whatever. Right. Well, you know, I think sometimes if you're relying on your day-to-day users to get this data in the right hands, you may not necessarily get the data to the people that really matter, that should be seeing this. Uh, And that's why I encourage companies to invite the executives on those critical events, Mm -hmm. uh, check-ins, for example, um, or to send meaningful communication that they may care about. So like, you know, future trends, how will it impact their business? Mm -hmm. What future things they should be thinking about? Or if you have a new product coming out, well, how's it going to impact my business? Why should I care? I think if you're able to communicate with them, whether it's right in product or through an email that's quick to read, I don't want three reports. I don't want to have to go somewhere else and click elsewhere. Show me in a very quick video or in content that I can easily read on my mobile. I think that's, that's critical in mm-hmm. reaching the decision makers. Interesting. Yeah, I sort of think about that because it's... it's my my goal is always is to em- enable the the people I consider sort of the key movers and mobilizers internally to be able to present that information accurately to the to the executives on their side because quite frankly they had more credibility about it and to me it's like I would be a red flag if I thought the executive thought I had more credibility than his his internal people <laughs> <laughs> on these issues and. That itself would be, I said, be very problematic. I, I will say the way that I've been successful in getting executives to come to a meeting is to explain my day to my day to day user. I here here's what the meeting is going to be about, and I want to make sure that your executive understands what we're doing together, why this partnership matters, mm-hmm. and during that meeting, making sure that your day to day user is the hero in the story, right? right? So if you make it about them and you make them look good and show the impact on the business, it's very compelling for that person to bring their executive to the table. I agree. I agree. Great point. Actually, we're going to wrap up on that point because we're okay end here, but we could could, uh, do another episode just uh, more on customer success, just on all the the questions I had to ask you. So uh, we'll we'll do that at some point. But in the meantime... Tell people how they can learn more about you and what you're doing. Sure. So I am a partner at Winning by Design, and I focus on customer success and account management uh, assessments, designs, and executive coaching. And you can reach me uh, by my first name, Amelia, at winningbydesign.com. Okay. And that's, why don't you spell Amelia? Sure. (laughs) It's E-M-I-L-I-A at winningbydesign.com. Perfect. All right. Well, Amelia, it's been great to meet you. And uh, I said, I look forward to doing this again. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. It's been a pleasure. 
Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for this week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to thank my guest, Amelia Danzica. Uh, Join me again next week as my guest will be Juliana Stancampiano. She's the CEO of Oxygen and author of a book titled Radical Outcomes, How to Create Extraordinary Teams That Get Tangible Results. Juliana and I are going to be talking about the role of education versus training in building and enabling the sales teams of the future. So be sure to join us then. And along those same lines, before you go, don't forget to check out the sales house. It is your all-in-one sales growth education for B2B sellers just like you. Visit thesaleshouse.com. Thanks again for joining me. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.